So it has been a while since we've done an episode. We've been busy. You know, we've had, uh, I just finished up my first round of exams. You are about to start yours. Yeah, I had a test today, test on Monday. I, cause I don't have that many classes. And then the other classes I have are like project based. So I don't have a lot of exams, but I'm still going through the to the first round. I guess it's been a bit of a hiatus. It's been over a week now since we put out an episode. I know, which is crazy, but we still haven't had a zero download day. So shout out to all of the fans out there that are still listening to the podcast. Really do appreciate it. Yeah, you guys are keeping us from having a heartbreak. <laughs> it's like, the, that's, the, that's the one thing we don't want to see. Even if we know we should have recorded one day, we still check to see yeah. if like there's downloads. Um, but we have so much content to talk about. A lot, a lot of content. A I lot stopped content. eating eggs. I, uh, we, we watched the debate. That's true. You stopped that the last time we recorded, either you had just finished and we had an, uh, an interview that like we couldn't really talk about it. Yeah. That's crazy, man. It has really been a while, but yeah, a lot has happened. A lot has happened. The debate woke up this morning. Trump has COVID crazy stuff. Crazy stuff. I guess, I guess we should start with the debate and then we can talk a little bit about Trump with COVID. Cause that might tie into wherever this debate conversation goes. I don't really know if like debate analysis is the right word. I think debate reaction because there's not really much to analyze when it comes to the debate. No, and it was also I, I, trying to analyze everything that was being said is going to be difficult because that really is. Uh, I think we talked about it maybe on the podcast. The uh, proposal to have Joe Rogan moderate a debate. It wouldn't just be sound bites, and of course. Joe is such an alpha that he wouldn't be Chris with the spectacles on and tries, can't even control, moderate the debate. They're just talking over each other. Really, it's just Trump talking over Joe. But yeah, the sound bites, you, you wouldn't get that in a long format conversation policy talk. No, I agree. I agree. I felt bad for the guy, though. Like, he, he could have done better, but I still feel bad. Like, that was such a, such a shit show, right? And a lot of the blame gets pinned on him. But, I mean, you know, obviously the two personas up there have to carry some of the blame as well. Um, but, yeah, it was just a lot of, a lot of, I don't know, talking over each other, which is the last thing you want to see in any debate, especially at the highest level. But at the same time, like, there's been a lot of people saying, I'm embarrassed to be an American. I'm embarrassed after seeing this worst debate in American history, which, I mean, maybe. Um, but, like, at the same time, how important really is this debate in terms of, like, you know, weeding out the policy and, and, you know, changing voters from one side to the other. I don't know. Like, I don't know if it, it was that important in the grand scheme of things. I don't know. If anything, I, I'd say like for both sides, because I don't even think Joe did a, that great of a job in trying to appeal to swing voters. Uh, moderates and bring them to his side. When he was looking, he would look at when the he would uh, look American at the camera people, yeah. with his beady eyes and mm-hmm. say, "It's you." How many of you are missing a family member at the table? <laughs> How many? Yeah, and it's because of this man. Like you could tell what he was trying to do. It was like move past what's going on at the debate in the moment and like have an appeal to the American people. Like, hey, let's be better than this, and this being the guy who's standing next to him. Um, but I just, I, I just don't think it was working. Even, even coronavirus, which should have been his like strongest point, his strongest defense, or strongest argument for why he's going to be better than Trump. I just didn't feel like it landed strongly. No, and even uh, what was it? So Joe called Trump not smart, right? And then Trump just with one of his quips is 
not smart. Not smart. You forgot your the the name of your college and all of this other stuff. At that point, he Joe really did see um, seem weak at that point. He didn't defend himself at all whenever Trump called him not smart. And I get it that maybe he's too uh, he's not as prideful, right, to defend himself whenever he's attacked like that. Mm-hmm. But if that's the game of politics right now and you just decide not to play in it, the amount of people that are probably watching it through the mainstream media, we were just streaming it on YouTube, but through mainstream media, on Fox News, on CNN, that that says something more to the older folks in America than to us, but that's saying something. Right. Yeah, I I guess for me personally, it's just always hard to put myself... Um, in that mindset or try and imagine that perspective, um, sort of that particular point of view of the people who are consuming this through like the Fox News. They've always been watching Fox News or MSNBC or CNN or whatever. And they tune in every night and they hear, you know, Cuomo or Hannity or whatever, you know, give the news. So it, it's hard for me to, to put myself in that maybe more rigid perspective. Right, because I mean, us at our age, we're not like that at yeah. all. There are so many other... Uh, media to consume, so social media, but even you have new media forms, new news uh, journals, you could say, that are like Vox, even your conservative Daily Wire, mm-hmm. right? That aren't your modern, or these are the new sources to get your news, aren't the old mainstream media. So I, it's just difficult. So I, I have a question then. One of like the biggest sound bites out of the debate was um, his President Trump not condemning white supremacy and then telling talking about the Proud Boys like stand by and stand ready or something like that, right? He said like stand by and stand back. Yeah, stand by and, and stand back. And a, and a lot of people were like saying he, you know, at the bare minimum couldn't condemn white supremacy. But do you think even if he did just like say, yeah, I am not for white supremacy or I'm against white supremacy. Do you think it would have made a difference? No. That's that's what I keep thinking too. Like, if you already think this guy is just a liar and a bullshitter, right, and he's just going to say whatever, then at the end of the day, what is him saying, like, yeah, to I condemn white supremacy? Like, is that really going to make a difference? I, I, I don't think it would make a difference at all. Maybe... Maybe the, the difference that it would make, because I'm sure white supremacists are... Uh, make up a very, very small part of his base, but they would tend to appeal to Donald Trump than uh, Joe Biden, I'd assume, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe they wouldn't support him, but that's the only point that I see. I don't really think that the uh, perspective the media is going to put out uh, or or show of Donald Trump is going to change if he did say, yeah, F those guys. Yeah, because it seems... At least on Twitter, just people in general have been like, that's been the main focus of like why we have to get rid of this guy right now. And then also, you know, like your CNNs and MSNBC have been just talking about that nonstop. And so I was just curious, like sort of running that counterfactual in my mind and just coming to the conclusion, like it wouldn't make that much of a difference. And I guess also just like the debate in general, um, like why, why is there so much stake in this, in this debate, in this election? Like, People are making it seem that if Trump wins again, the world's going to be over. 
I'm, I'm, I'm going to be miserable. It's, it's going to ruin America. It's like, come on. At the end of the day, if Trump wins, just go back to your community and be better in your community, right? Yeah. Don't use it. I feel like actually what's worse is that if Biden wins, they're going to use that as an excuse like the job is done. We did it while there's like still a massive <laughs> like homeless population yeah. in say like Austin. And like, no. Uh, all of in, California yeah, all of California exactly he's like no we got Trump out of office that was the last step like that's that's ridiculous that's that's ridiculous that's that's the weird thing about putting so much stake in the federal elections no and that's the that's the thing like you said give back to your community if you were to just focus more on your local elections on your state elections maybe there'd be more of an impact and I'm sure there would be if everybody that you're around put more emphasis on that, but because every, uh, like, yeah, I'm talking about in your community, but nationwide, we all have something in common where we vote for the federal elections. So that's why they're shown on TV. That's probably why uh, you can see a lot more news on them and be able to relate to someone in Connecticut if you're from alaska mm-hmm. but yeah no i i understand i mean it's always going to be this way where the we're around november in a in a presidential election year this is going to be the main focus and it's going to be the same thing over over again maybe not to the same extent of drama and emotion like the 2020 election but it's always going to be this way and you know there, there's that thing in in american politics called the october story or the october phenomenon do you think the October story is Trump getting COVID or, or, or are think, we still waiting for we're it? We're still waiting for it. I think that, okay. You know how right before the election, either the same day or the day before they released like Trump's, uh, are they talking about Trump's taxes or lack of paying taxes? Yeah. Like what? $700, $750. I think that like, man, I'm going to sound like such a, such a pundit, a uh, Trump pundit, but like, the media, the, for sure, a lot of the left-wing media or, or media that leans left is like, for sure, going to drop stories like this about Trump, um, just to stir up controversy about him, just to make sure that like he's painted in the worst image possible. Because like this, like, isn't it kind of odd that like this information, which has already, which was already published a, a few years back about his, uh, about how many, how much taxes he pays that they just decided to republish it again the day before the uh, debate. Right. Like that's a little little sus, don't you think? Yeah. So I feel like as we get closer to November, there's going to be more bombshells. Um, I don't know if it's going to be something that like Trump actually does himself, like in the present, or if it's going to be something that the media releases or maybe something in the nation, like another protest. But do you think it's going to be... It's going to... Whatever that story is against Trump... Yeah, I think it's going to be against Trump. I think it's going to be against Trump. I, I don't think that... Like, Unless Hunter Biden fucks up. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Like, the, the media doesn't really talk about Hunter Biden much. Like, it's hard. Like, I didn't know much about Hunter Biden until Trump started that talking about him. Was that was crazy. When he said such a <laughs> wild statement, right? And he goes, yeah, man, your your other son, Hunter Biden, he was in the military, got dishonorably discharged because of cocaine. Your son does cocaine. And he just dropped that out there. But that's the thing. Like, before that, I didn't know much about Hunter Biden whatsoever. The only times I ever 
hear about Hunter Biden is when Trump tweets about him. So I don't think like the media grabs onto to stuff like that as much. On on stuff that would hurt Joe Biden. Joe Biden, right? Right. Um, you know, I, I just think that that the left likes to paint it as the right trying to, you know, make a conspiracy against them. But like the same thing happened with the Clintons, where when the Monica Lewinsky things dropped, the first thing Hillary Clinton said was, "This is a right wing conspiracy against them." Like this is like a common uh, tactic. Like it's not new it's, to Trump. It's whoever is in power, right? right? It, it doesn't matter what it. It it doesn't matter if it's just the right against the left. It, it, they're always in conflict with each other, and especially whenever Pat was here and we were watching the debate together, it's almost as if Trump has started to lean into the establishment politics, where it just seems that none of these guys are really like pro people, pro the the American public. Mm-hmm. I mean, talk about Joe Biden, who's been in politics since. I'm sure, like, you could run for office, which right. is, like, the definition of establishment politics. Yeah, and, and that's the weird thing, because the Democratic Party is the, the, the party that's of the supposed people. to be... Yeah, of the people, make progressive policies that uh, create social institutions and social infrastructure for people. But Trump, like, the whole the whole reason why he was... We, we allowed him into sort of the political arena, or people allowed him into the political arena, is because he was, like, a, a, a chaos agent, right? He was not part of uh, politics whatsoever, is going to change things up. And so him leaning into the establishment politics now, whether it's... I mean, he's still a chaos agent. No, for sure. For sure. But the more he associates himself with establishment politics, I think the less effective he becomes. Right. No, I, I'd have to agree with that. So, and that and that's another thing, is that I don't know, like having having a chaos agent and being part of establishment politics is like the best thing we need right now. I think that, I think that a lot of Americans who are probably like losing their jobs and don't really know what to do once say like an eviction moratorium, um, and, or, or, or other sort of Corona friendly policies that have allowed people to not pay rent or, or, you know, you know, purchase food and whatever, uh, and I, I think I think a lot of people are concerned about that, and not really so much about whether or not these two old men are yelling at each other. And I I'd even have to say that I feel as though as as much as you want someone like a representative that speaks for you, right? That is for the people, and I, I do think that there are grassroots movements among the like both the right and the left although they might lean a bit more towards like populism and just say things that sound good for the people in order to get to power but the the likelihood of seeing uh like democratic socialism be implemented here in the united states i'd say is very low Mm -hmm. so it's just things that sound good anyway what i'm trying to say is that i feel as though the common American doesn't want to get involved with politics because politics gets very messy. So if you do have establishment figures that are in charge of everything and say everything is calm and you don't have a chaos agent at all, sure, some people are going to feel that, oh, I don't have a voice in politics, but everything's going to be stable. Mm -hmm. And I, I feel that 
as much as you want to say that, yes, I want to have someone in politics, in, in the federal government that speaks for me, I feel that the vast majority of the American public would rather have stability over something crazy. So then, because I think in 2016, Trump's election also opened up uh, the sort of future of politics in terms of like these new wave politicians like an AOC, right? Um, who definitely lean a lot more left. And I think as, uh, I don't know, as a lot of the older generation, older uh, people in politics leave and these new younger people come in and sort of use this, I think both I think both left and right of these new way politicians are going to util, utilize populism to achieve either more progressive methods or more conservative uh, policies and methods. So, do you think that do you think that then? I I don't gets- even think that it'll be to to get policies. I I think you these politicians are going to say things that sound good. Rather ra- rather, excuse me. Whether you're on the left or the right, these. Uh, policies that they're going to put out there right or these statements that they're going to say are going to sound very good and get them into power right because it's populism but i don't think that they're actually going to pass it it's just a play to go into power it's like like i'm saying it's another game of politics the politicians today being a politician should be a very difficult job no one should want to be a politician so those people that are going to make those statements that sound really good are just playing the new game, right? The, the FIFA 21 hmm. of how I'm going to succeed in getting into power. And I, I still don't think anything would really change. So then, then I think it's a, a very weird problem that's going to become more frequent is that new politicians, new young rising politicians are going to use these great sounding policies these great sounding projects to stir up uh you know voters to vote for them and push out the old established candidate but then like you said there's there's the big potential for when they actually get into office not much is actually being done towards those policies say like if i uh tarik arus run for a congressional district i'm i'm riling up the uh young voters in my district who haven't really voted before in the past telling them that we're going to get the green new deal going we're gonna we're gonna get back into the paris climate deal we're gonna do all these things for for the climate and and it just gets a lot of young people excited because i mean it is an exciting thing right you know saving the climate um but then i get elected but then that's that's kind of hard to do right i'm kind of in a minority of people who are really pushing the green new deal but now you have power but now I have power. And you just you just beat a guy that was in the old class that was playing old politics. And the more time goes on, the more new politicians, right? This new class, I, I like how you're saying it, different classes. This new class of politicians who tend to be younger, it's still going to be very hard to pass these policies, especially because if both sides of the spectrum descend into more uh, populism, then it's going to be more polarizing to get anything passed in the federal government. So it's just going to be the new establishment class. What is what is then n- n- this new class of, of politicians look like on the right? Because um, I keep trying, I, I was in my head trying to like give an example. I was like, 
left, probably, you know, Green New Deal, uh, you know, healthcare for everyone, those kind of things. But on the right, what does the right I look don't, like? I don't know what exactly. I, God, I'm a terrible person. <laughs> <laughs> what were you going to say? I was going to say, I, I don't know what exactly he stands for. The guy in the wheelchair. Okay, I was trying to think of the. I was trying to think of his name too, but I, I what he stands for. <laughs> Jesus Christ! But yeah, he's it was an it was pretty cool with the uh, RNC, where he did say like, "This is something for which I." Or when he did the Pledge of Allegiance, right, and the part that goes for which I stand, and he did get up off mm-hmm. of his wheelchair. Yeah, he had like a, uh, like a walker next to him, so he could support himself. That was very cool. I'm just a cruel person. <laughs> but I, I'm sure, because he looks very, very young. And there are probably going to be more of those young type of politicians. And I bet, because I know one of, uh, I don't know if he's still big on it, but something that I thought was cool about Dan Crenshaw was the uh, cutting of Social Security. And he says, like, this is a problem that we have to address. It is only going, it's going to destroy us in the end if we don't stop or limit as much as we take from the social security system. Yeah, no, I remember seeing, or my government and corporations class last semester is like, social security will, like, it, the current taxes we pay right now will be good for social security until, like, I think 2030. But then after that, if we still wanted to keep it, we'd have to raise taxes by so much. Um, which is not what Americans want, right, in in general, right, for something like Social Security, which has been problematic for so long. Um, Yeah, I guess that's a good point. Which I'm sure would appeal maybe not to old conservatives, just how uh, Green New Deal type stuff doesn't appeal as much to older liberals. Uh, You could say like the old class of politicians on both sides, but to your young progressives and to your young conservatives, I'm sure these are two major issues that uh, these populists would address. But like I said, would be very difficult to pass, especially if one side is Medicare for all and the other one is, now let's just get... Private, <laughs> we, yeah. yeah we, we need to get rid of it. Like, we, we really do. It's going to destroy us. Jesus. <laughs> yeah, I guess, I guess if both sides become so, I don't know, push all the way to the opposite ends, then you can't really meet in the middle and say, hey, maybe we should do you know, Obamacare with a public option. Rather, it's just all private or all, uh, all, all universal. Um, it's like, it's like uh, the, the Republicans are, are like people at a football game cheering for their football team and like, yeah, USA, USA, USA. And then like the, the liberals, are like, both these are young Republicans and young liberals and the young liberals are like they're in the OR and the person's dying on the on the table and like yeah we can't do anything about it it's like it's just so it seems like it's so just no middle ground right so (laughs) I'm curious to see I don't know how politics like slowly changes over the next 20-25 years and I I think Trump had a big uh, role to play in that especially him getting elected in 2016 like I said changes the game of politics now what the establishment class used to do to get into power they can no longer do that those rules have changed like i said this is the fifa 21 and only the young kids are going to play now yeah and they know how to play 
especially with social media. Because that's the big thing. Because now you're competing for attention with like a, a, a personality like Trump, who's all about like saying crazy things, getting a lot of attention, getting a lot of retweets, getting a lot of likes. And so you can't really just, I don't know, be be uh, be quiet and and just you know do your job and not really seek attention. You have to if you want to win an election, you have to be loud like that now. I think for the for the most part. Yeah, and I feel if we go back to what we tend to do on this podcast and bring it to a dialectic. Yeah. Uh, I think that yeah, there were some benefits to the stability this old class, this old establishment class provided. And there are also good parts of this uh, new class of politics, this new game of politics where you have to be loud. But if you were to synthesize the both, right, and come up with your um, synthesis, right, Mm -hmm. uh, that's what it's called, and take the good parts of both, once once this new class passes and you have the I keep on talking about FIFA because I've been playing it crazy. <laughs> um, your FIFA 22 class of politicians, right? The, the n- newest class that aren't here yet, that are able to merge the both, both good parts, then I think like th- that's going to be better. But of course, they're going to have downsides and it's only going to, yeah. you know, what those are going to be. Hopefully, the good outweighs the bad. Hopefully, hopefully. Speaking of some bad, though, in the present, what might be good for, for people who hate his guts? Trump has COVID, you mentioned briefly, in the beginning. I'm, I'm curious where he got it from <laughs> or, like, who gave it to him because his wife has it, too. Um, so I don't know if they... It was his top aide, right, that tested positive? Oh, okay. Yeah. I guess so. I guess so. Well, P- uh, Pence doesn't have COVID. He tested negative, so we might still get to see him on the debate stage Get murdered Kamala. by yeah. Kamala Harris. It's going to be weird if the... VP debate is like so much better, so much more, uh, better in terms of like substance, right? I'm not entertainment, <laughs> but within the presidential debate, I don't know if that's ever been the case, right? Uh, I, I'm definitely probably going to tune in to see, cause I want to see Kamala Harris go against, you know, Pence. So I, I think there's a lot of truth to what you just said, how it's not going to be entertaining, but it's going to be of substance. And that I feel like that's why a lot of people appeal towards politics now because it's become show business, right? Who didn't grow up and want to be in iCarly Nickelodeon TV, right? Be the next TV show or be in a movie. I mean, I I wanted to be on Game of Thrones. I thought that would be so cool. (laughs) Of course, I could only like play for a certain cast. What, like from Dorn or where? Right, yeah. yeah. We can only be the Dornish people. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, who, who doesn't want to do that? And especially if it's on TV all the time. Right. In high school, as much as, like, we hate it, and I think it's a cultural thing that would have to change. And like I've said before, culture is super difficult to change. Um, everyone wants to be the popular kid. And you have your edgy outsiders but they even think that they're popular right the, the, in their own way right in, in yeah. their own they way. just don't want to they just don't, don't want to use the word popular exactly yeah so how do you become popular well have some take on politics and if you have a lot of support for what you just said run for office you're going to be on tv 
you're going to be on social media. Yeah. So. Yeah, it, this, the social clout. The social clout that you get from it is so much now like tied into politics because of Twitter and you know, social media, generally speaking. Um, well, I, t- I, was, I was telling you before this, though, I thought it was so crazy how when Trump tested COVID or tested positive for COVID, like the stocks went down. And like, this is something we talked about maybe with one of our guests, how like fickle the stock markets can be in terms of like, you know, news events like this, political events, not even really a political event, I guess. It's just like a, yeah, I guess it's a political event. I mean, the president got COVID. Um, it'd be crazy if he died. No, yeah, <laughs> that would be ridiculous. Then it'd be a DNC conspiracy theory. DNC gave it to Hasabi, right? DNC gave him COVID. <laughs> Jesus. No, but the, uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was his top aide. Because that's something that I saw last night. Trump's top aide tested positive for COVID. He's just going to quarantine with his wife. And then woke up this morning and see Trump has COVID. He tested positive as well. So that is pretty crazy. Especially in terms of the stock market. Now there's a risk of him dying. There was always that risk. But he's not the healthiest guy. He's a bigger guy, too, so this could be worse for him. And this also means, even if, uh, which I'm sure he will live, he won't be on the campaign trail as much, so he can't go out and do what his superpower is at the Trump rallies. So this now helps Joe Biden and... Joe Biden isn't the best for business is, is, is what like business people think. Yeah. I was also thinking Joe Biden isn't really the, the best, the best with crowds. Remember that video I showed you of, I don't know where he was. Despacito. (laughs) Yeah. When he was, he went up to the mic and he was like, hold hold on a second. And he pulled out his phone and he started playing Despacito to like his crowd. That was, I guess, largely Hispanic. Yeah. It's like, are you serious? Is this, is this your, your play right now? Man of the people playing Despacito? Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I guess, I guess the stock market just, or the people who, um, I guess, analyze and, and, and make predictions about the stock market just see Joe Biden as generally being a worse off, uh, worse off for, for the economy as a whole, which is interesting because also... Like I was telling you, it's weird how Trump getting COVID is what makes the stock market spiral. Whereas like Disney laid off 28,000 employees. Um, and that's not really as much of a talked about thing versus like what's going on with the presidential election. Um, and it's not just like Disney who laid off a bunch of employees. I, I was just reading about it like uh, before we started because it was another like massive company. And uh, it was... 32,000 job cuts from United Airlines, uh, which is crazy. And that coronavirus relief package that the House passed, the, the how much was it? 22 trillion. Oh, no, 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 2.2 trillion. 2.2 trillion. Like, there's no way in hell that's going to pass in the Senate. No. So what are they really doing right now for, like, these kind of people, um, these poor theme park workers, right? What are they going to do? Uh, I don't think tuning in to watch, you know, if they're a Trump supporter, tuning in to watch their president yell, on 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 you know national TV or even Joe Biden or Joe Biden right none the the debate it was entertaining right but what exactly did we get from it a few headlines few headlines criticisms 
Crypto. No real policy talk. No, not really. Not really at all. If anything, like I, I wasn't even like more concerned with the policy talk. Like when they would drop things or say things related to policy or COVID, I would be curious to fact check it. Right. Right. And I thought that was really cool because you were at the table and you just had your laptop yeah, tr- out. Trying to. It was a little behind, but I was able to like fact check some of the things. And most of the fact checks were like they would say like it's misleading what he said. Like um, when when Trump when they were talking about like the economy coming back strong and they said it was coming back on like a V curve. I don't really know what that meant. Just like it, it, it declines really fast oh, okay. and then it inclines. Right. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know what really came out of the debate that was positive. I don't know what's going to come out of the next debate that's positive. They should really choose a moderator who uh, can control the two, right? I'm just saying that the Joe Rogan debate would also... I I actually think that with the Joe Rogan debate, and we associate this with the new class of politics that's coming up, we'd actually see a lot more benefits from the new class of politics if in a Joe Rogan-style debate. I No, I agree. I agree. In terms of voting, because that was another concern um, that people felt when they left after watching the debate, that... Trump wouldn't really, that there was, it seemed like he was not eager to accept whatever results of the election, right? Like Joe Biden said something along the lines of like, if he wins, then I'll support him, you know, regardless. Um, but Trump, you know, made that comment about proud boys stand by and stand back or, and, and, uh, yeah. Th- that wasn't about the voting. Sorry, though. not, a, that wasn't about the voting. You're right. But no, he, he said, he was just talking about like some there's been some frauds and stuff and talking about talking about like the, the trash bin that had ballots with his name on it. But he also mentioned, um, basically it was, if I see that there is some shady stuff going on with the ballots in no way, am I going to accept the, the result? That made me a little nervous. Um, I mean, it, it definitely brings more chaos, instability, but I, I don't think there's a way where he does, if he were to lose the election, where he doesn't leave office. Yeah, there's no way he's going to stay in office. I just think, uh, I just think, like you said, it, it brings it brings in like another sort of a layer of instability. Um, but for what, like two months? For, yeah, two months, two months. But people are already so, like there's so much tension already. Uh, I feel like that two months worth of, protests or or like violence and stuff like that it's not what the country needs right now especially right before we inaugurate a new president um and just don't get mad at him he's gonna get he's going to leave regardless yeah in no way do you think like even republicans right that are his party are not going to accept him staying as president sure so do you think that the election is going to be decided by the Supreme Court in some way, in the same way like in 2000? Maybe. Because a lot of the procedure and uh, sort of deadlines and guidelines for when it comes to mail-in voting has been, like, this has been sort of worked out by state Supreme Courts. So, and I think there's even some pending cases in the Supreme Court, but they're hesitant to uh, look into it. But I think that there's a big chance that the election results are in some way going to be taken up by the Supreme Court. I mean, think about it. If uh, Amy 
Coney Barrett right gets uh, nominated to or she was she was already nominated gets confirmed mm-hmm. to the Supreme Court. Yeah, I'm sure that's what a three six majority Republican Supreme Court. And if the president were to lose the election, to bring it up, and I think because I confide more in Supreme Court justices than politicians in general. I think regardless, even if Trump were to win the election, it would still be brought up. Sure. In, in terms of, uh, you, you brought her up, Amy. But ha- what was your sort of reaction when he announced her nomination? I mean, I, I told you about her. I said, yeah, uh, there's, this, there's this professor from Notre Dame, uh, Catholic like me, <laughs> and we're not the biggest on, on Roe v. Wade. And that, that seems to be it. Uh, she seems like a nice person, though. Has yeah. like seven children or something, yeah, which is crazy. Children, some are but, adopted too. Yeah, but even um, like the amount of work where they they seem at least they portray to be like a nice family that uh, I'm sure, yeah, issues rise up here and there. But both the husband and the wife are super busy, and to have a happy family of seven kids. That's, I mean, that, that's impressive. She seems she, to she's be a constitutionalist. You know, she sticks yeah. to the the constitution, doesn't stray from it. So, she did say that instead of trying to interpret the constitution now, let's just with something about like how the founders wrote it. Right. Yeah. Which is also interesting, right? Because the country is very, very different from how the founders. I think what the founders ever expected it to be. So. That's always that's always like a weird thing when when someone says they're they're a strict constitutionalist. It's like, how strict should you be? Because, for one thing, there's like obviously things in there that are blatantly um, out of its time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> I.e. the three fifths compromise. But no, no, no. You 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 always like float around the idea of a new constitutional convention, but I I just think that. It would be cool to have a new constitutional convention where it is the exact same constitution. It's just that we remove the part about three-fifths compromise and this will be the symbolic beginning of a new chapter of American history where we are past the foundations of, of racism. <laughs> the only problem is you're going to get some like young... Uh, upstart radicals in there and they're gonna and like in the middle of the procedures where everything's going smoothly just redoing the constitution bringing up it up to date they're gonna start i don't know spewing things like no we need to put in for certain that everyone has access to health care there needs to be an abolishment of uh of 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 the privatization of of uh yeah, certain businesses um and that's the thing like i i wouldn't put my trust in any politician really to uh, let a constitutional convention happen. Yeah. Which, I mean, sounds crazy. I'm saying, basically, if I'm the if I'm the guy in charge and I have the only access to change it, of course, I trust myself to not abuse it because what I'm saying is, let's have a new chapter in American history. But even then, I, I mean, it, it gets to a slippery slope. Yeah, it does. It does. That's like, that was like the big deal. The big problem with like the French National Assembly during the during the uh, French Revolution, they just 
they would have some nights where they get riled up and they start declaring things like, hey, let's just get rid of this whole feudal structure. Let's get rid of the ancien regime. Let's get rid of titles of nobility. And it just would spiral and spiral and spiral and spiral. And they just get rid of so many things um, all in just like one night. It's like it's you get sort of like a a, a feeling of, of like a high from it. You know, you're like you're doing all these things like, yeah, let's do this and this and this and this is going to make the country so much better. Um, so I feel like there's definitely going to be uh, there definitely would be people in this new constitutional convention who would just like take the podium and make all of these great sounding demands for the future of America. And I mean, if anything, if we have a constitutional convention, we might be stuck in the constitutional convention for the rest of time. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> like to try and agree on, okay, this will be the new way uh, the history of the United States will progress. I, I don't think. Yeah, that's why I don't think we should ever have a new constitutional convention. I think just the, what the founders outlined, I think they already struggled to come to a conclusion on their own. Um, I think the way it is, the way they outlined it and the way that we can amend is just, is not great by any means, but I think it's the best than having it just reopening. No, I mean, it provides for the most stability. And I was even uh, listening to an economist talk about it on a supplemental factor in how or and why the United States was able to grow to such the economic beast that it is, is because if you are in an absolute monarchy where, or even a, um, a, a type of government that can descend into radicalism fairly quickly, that's not providing enough stability for a business to actually open up and maintain business with other, you know, businesses and, and grow. So the fact that it is very, very difficult to change the United States Constitution, it just provides for the most stability. I mean, I if you look at, like, a, another presidential republic like Mexico, there's been, like, I don't know, a hundred amendments to the Constitution. <laughs> like, it, it's ridiculous. Yeah. No, I, th I think uh, I think that's true. I think that the intention uh, had a purpose and had a meaning and that opening or doing a new constitutional convention would be like opening Pandora's box. Yeah, so. no, for sure. But let's fantasize okay. about Trump not leaving office. Jesus. Trump doesn't leave office. Military coup, right? Because they actually have like the, the power to, the actual firepower, you could say, to remove him from office. Mm -hmm. Oligarchy. Supreme ruler, right? General. And then what happens after? Oh, wait. So, so, <laughs> so Trump stays in office and there is a military coup to get him out? Yeah, to get him out. And then in oligarchy forms? Yeah, like the, the military heads. Oh. I, I thought, I, I was like going on the lines of like, like there were some very wealthy democratic people in the United States fund uh, military Jeff Bezos. yeah Jeff Bezos uh, Soros Bloomberg uh, fund a military coup get him out of office and they form an oligarchy and uh, but your your example is is also an interesting one too is the military dictatorship in a sense or military oligarchy huh yeah I mean maybe Jeff Bezos funds this military coup right but it's still the military they have all the guns sure they go kill Jeff Bezos take all his wealth I mean hey the United States is like $200 billion richer now, mm -hmm. but... <laughs> yeah, so what happens after that? Yeah, what happens? 
Do you think there would be like an international response, like by force? I think there would be some type. I don't. I'm but who would come in? Who would, who would who would come in and like help the United States restore order? You know, the only countries that I can really think of are the UK and France. Yeah, and maybe Germany. Yeah, but they might be our closest allies. Maybe Japan, but I mean, it's. I don't know how much combining those militaries versus the United States military still would look like, and even if if it would look like war on our front, on the home right. front. I feel like there would there would be civil war, or at least like like uh, sort of guerrilla warfare against if 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 the military was all was for sure behind this new oligarchy, like a hundred percent sure there were some dissidents, but on on the majority they had the whole military with them. There'd be like civil, there'd be some kind of civil war or, or just like bands of like Americans fighting like guerrilla warfare. Militias. Yeah. yeah. But it, like we were even saying, sure, you have the, like uh, the right to form a private militia in the United States, but you don't have tanks. You definitely don't have missiles. Right. Right. No, yeah. The, the U S military, I mean, could, could, Squash easily anything. crush any insurgent, and they have they have like so much equipment when it comes to like reconnaissance and spying. You could find all of you motherfuckers oh who are God. hiding from the government. You know, it was just a, a fun idea to. I mean, obviously, it fun would idea. be fun <laughs> to live in that world, but just to imagine yeah. all of the chaos that would come. Yeah, the fun third option. <laughs> <laughs> Trump stays in, and there's a military coup. No, I think if it, for sure if Trump does anything unconstitutional if he loses he's for sure losing all support yeah you know i mean yeah there's going to be probably some of his diehard base or like you know he should he, it was a complete scam it's a hoax it's i mean I, I said it during the debate there are retards on both sides yeah <laughs> yeah if if there was like bernie sanders who didn't want to leave office some of his diehard base would support that too um i'm thinking just more about <laughs> uh, the future and what the future entails for American politics. Because mm-hmm. I do think that, like I said before, the Joe Rogan-style debates with the new class of politics would actually, I think, uh, contribute to minimizing polarization among politicians. But if, if like this populism-style sound-good soundbites, feel-good soundbites, I should say, just keeps on happening without a, a a new format in which to discuss policy and not feelings. Um, so do you think it's a format change then is what is like the most pressing matter? Like moving away from the sound bites we catch on TV or like the short segments where you invite someone on. Like, oh my God, I saw uh, Cuomo and Ted Cruz like highlights from whatever conversation they were having on cnn and like one of the highlights was cuomo saying how can you still support him when he you know disrespected your wife and these kind of things like i I don't what what out of substance are you getting from ted cruz coming on cnn right yeah so i do you think then it's like a the most pressing thing is just a format change away from those to sort of long form less emphasis on sound bites type I don't know if it's the most pressing change, right? 
um, like maybe it is chipping away at finally reaching the answer, um, the end goal, right? It's helping with the end goal. I don't really know what the end goal is, though. See, that's the thing. I'm thinking that it might be not making politics entertainment because that's what... I mean, we have Hollywood here. Mm-hmm. We are the <laughs> number one country in the world that has global cultural export. Yeah. Even with like Italian cuisine, because we're such a diverse country, that's still culture that we as well are exporting. I mean, Brooklyn style pizza was made here in the United States. But if we talk about movies and stuff, entertainment. Oh. Obviously, it is us being number one, and now we are making politics entertainment. All of the Western world, where this is, you know, being exported to, they also have a stake in in, uh, in the election because it's just become entertainment, right? Yes, and there are actual stakes in this too, which makes it even uh, like higher tense. Then, yeah, maybe we should just make all politics. Like anything political, only can be broadcasted on like C-SPAN or something. <laughs> yeah, on C-SPAN. Just just make it as boring. Not okay. Boring is not the right word, but not make it as flashy as 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 it is now. You know. And like I said on the night of the debate, if there was a strong effort in pointing out how difficult the job of a politician is going to be, and how difficult it should be and actually turn people off from going into politics, I think that would you wouldn't turn off all of the people that are just power-hungry, right? That just want to feel, I have power over you. I have this title above you. I'm more important than you. You wouldn't turn all of them off, but I think that would help in eliminating those people from getting into those positions of power and actually having those... American citizens who want to sacrifice themselves, you could say, in order to make the country a better place. I agree. I agree. I mean, I think a lot of it has to do with how politicians are portrayed on like TV shows. You know, it looks a lot more. Not, I wouldn't even say glamorous because if you watch House of Cards, it looks stressful and it looks very gritty and it's suspenseful. But there's still like these moments. It's like, wow, I wish I had this power. Yes, so much power. Yeah, has a ring. Exactly, exactly. I mean, there's those moments that give you, like, chills, and you're like, man, I, I would want to be in politics. So I think a lot of it probably starts with how, you know, it's portrayed on, on TV. Because that's, that's the way, or, you know, Netflix and stuff like that, because that's the way most of our generation consumes probably uh, media, and then that forms how we perceive politicians. I feel like we're probably consuming more Netflix than political, you know, uh, uh, news right right but because it's become entertainment we're we're still consuming it in some way on netflix yeah yeah and then even on twitter you know you it shows you the sound bites like you know you said the the highlights of the actual news and that comes in as entertainment um like i saw this one um clip from a sort of committee and this congresswoman was talking to this uh, CEO or something like that about how much money he gained from raising the price of a specific drug. And it was like, 
it was it was a soundbite. You know, she was coming after him. She had like a big whiteboard. She was drawing the she was writing the numbers on there, making him seem stupid. You know, like showing the increase of his thing, and and he was kind of like, not speechless, but at a loss for words. And that was like a two minute video, maybe even less. And you just see that out of this long committee meeting. Yeah, this now this politics, right? Do you know what I'm talking yes. about? Yeah. Now this yeah. and all formats that are similar to now this that only show highlights and maybe have music playing in the background and they they're not even speaking right it's just like words you have to read them and then the video that where you actually hear sound is that little highlight of 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 a politician just destroying the ceo of a company company, right leaving them speechless that type of media is actually what is contributing to the demise of the uh unity of america of american politics yeah very very corrosive no i agree i agree um because if you read the whole thing or like watch the whole thing then you see more of the middle ground but then if you watch the highlights you watch like where this person destroys this person on a point that they like disagree on for sure but then you don't get to see like the rest where it's probably like just a normal conversation you know it's like oh you, you don't really agree with this? Well, I see where you're coming from. I mean, I guess it's whatever. You know, you like these more sort of moderate uh, uh, statements and, and conversations. But or even you, you could see that the politician is just being an asshole and yeah. is being harsh the entire time. Yeah. And finally, it gets to a point where the CEO just doesn't want to talk anymore. Right. It's like, I, I'm through with this. Like, I just don't want to. Yeah. No, yo, if no you comment, watch the whole I thing, you're like, fifth. man, this lady's really a pain in the ass. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's true. That is true. But I don't know. I I have hopes that, you know, maybe America feels like the underdog right now and that it's going up against a a big fight of what the future entails. But we always succeed. It's funny because we're we're the underdog, but we're the underdog against ourselves. Yeah. Like we're we're in too too big of a league to compete against, to be an underdog or a competitor against anyone else. The only person we can compete against ourselves is either our past selves or our future selves. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, but that's, those are the best athletes in the world are the ones that are at the top of the hill, the king of the hill and are just not able to compare themselves to anybody else. So they have to know create a challenge for themselves. Yeah, I'm sure Michael Phelps doesn't compete with anyone else. He competes with himself, right? Yeah. So, I don't know. So my time was this, and I need to be faster than this. Right. Right. Well, on that note, go USA. Go USA. Yeah, in, in, the, in, the, in whatever darkness you see from this debate, um, it's not the end of the United States. That's so silly. So no. I, think, I think that's a positive note to end on, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for listening, ladies and gentlemen, and uh, hopefully we get more consistent with this podcast, but like I said, we're doing school now. Yeah, we've been busy. We've been busy. We needed a hiatus to get a lot of things done and just, I mean, because it's not just school we've been working on. We have things that go on outside of school as well, so um, bear with us, guys, as we figure this out. Yeah. Thank you, though. Yep. This has been another episode of This is Absurd. Goodbye, guys. Bye.